Hey there, online family. Thanks so much for tuning into the Refuge Official Podcast today. We believe that the message you're about to hear is a powerful one. We believe that the Lord is ready and willing to do a great work. And we believe that through this message, you'll hear from Him today. So please enjoy. We are starting a whole new series, and you can see on the screen, Waiting on a Promise. Waiting on the Promise. So this month, we're going to be hearing from people here at Refuge, people that we know, love and appreciate, who have a testimony of what Jesus did for them. I believe one of the greatest things that we have to share Jesus with others is a personal testimony. We have the gospel, of course, the word of God, but your, your testimony only really affirms what the scriptures teach and, and share. Uh, this whole year we've been uh, talking about the promises of God. It's been our theme. Uh, look at uh, look with me at 2 Corinthians 1.20. This has been kind of a theme verse for this year. Uh, it reads, For every one of God's promises is yes in Him. Therefore, through Him, we also say amen to the glory of God. So what, what a powerful scripture. You know, God's saying every promise He gives, He's going to say yes to. But we need to add our agreement to it as well. He's not going to deny you what he's promised in his word. This really, the Bible, could be uh, spoke of as a book of promises. And there's a lot of unclaimed promises here that people could experience the fulfillment of these promises in their life if they'd only spend time to look into the word and see what God's made available to them through the promises of his word. And I don't know about you, and we're talking about this particular thing, waiting on the promise. Waiting is not fun. It's not, I don't like to wait. I don't know if anybody here who likes to wait unless um, um, you're waiting for something and, and it's, it's going to help you. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. Like you, you're waiting for that bill to come in the mail and it's just not showing up. It's not showing up. You know, maybe you don't mind that kind of waiting. <laughs> but the kind of waiting we're talking about is when we're longing for, believing for, something God's promised, and it's just not happening. We're not seeing things change. In fact, it may go from bad to worse. Um, and now, a place I do not like waiting is at a store, especially a grocery store. And I always try to find the shortest line with people that have the, the least amount of groceries in their grocery carts. You know, how many of you go, oh, where's the longest line? I'm going to get in that line. No, no, no. There's something wrong with you if that's the case. But, and, but so, and it seems like it just takes forever, especially if they got a, a new clerk and they're scanning it. Beep. Beep. That's why I love Aldi. I mean, beep, 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 beep. I mean, they're just, they're going through that stuff. I mean, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Okay. So, No. But waiting for promise can be different. Uh, we all know the story about Abraham. And Abraham is a great example of a man who waited for a promised son from the age of 75 years. I mean, he was an old guy at that point. He, he hadn't had children up until that point. I'm sure he wanted children, but he, uh, his wife couldn't conceive and all that stuff. But God promised that he would have a son, a promised son. And it took him to the year 100 years old. 25 years he waited for that promise. 
And I have one verse in, in, in Romans that will talk a little bit about that. I'll share that with you. Romans 4.20 says, this is in regards to uh, Abraham. It says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. God promised him a son. But he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. Verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now that's an important point. Abraham was fully convinced, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And in the process, he didn't grow weaker in faith waiting for the promise. He grew stronger in faith waiting for the promise. And so in this series, whatever waiting period you have, I believe you will grow stronger in the waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. Why? Because you're convinced that God will fulfill that promise in your life. So testimonies, I believe, from real people. Today we're going to hear from Sarah Stiff. She's going to come up in a moment. But Revelation 12, 11 states, and they overcame, and they, I, I, actually I'm trying to quote it from another verse, from the ESV version that reads this way. And they have overcome him, and that's in reference to the enemy, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus shed blood, and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even to the death. So when we see the dynamics of a testimony to overcome the enemy, to overcome every stronghold, it requires Jesus shed blood, his redemptive power, and the testimony of a life that follows who's been a recipient of the work of redemption. And so we're going to hear a story from Sarah. Sarah, Sarah, why don't you come to the platform at this time? And, and uh, let's give Sarah a hand as she comes. Now, you may have not met Sarah. Maybe you've seen her around here. But after today, I think you're going to get to know her pretty well. And I think today you're going to probably want to be her friend if you're not. Okay? Because she's one of those people that she's a good friend. Uh, she's so full of the life of God and so much. Why don't you just greet everybody, say hello or something like that? Hi, everybody. <laughs> I want to also, yeah, that was good. Great. We're off to a great start, folks. Now, I'm usually, I don't ever want to have a talk show host, so this is a little challenging for me, but I, we're going to roll with this, okay? Um, maybe, maybe that's in the future, you know, who knows? But... <laughs> Um, to be your co-host. <laughs> co-host, maybe. That could do that, maybe. Um, we, we just want to thank you, first of all, for your willingness to come and sh to share your story. Your story is about uh, your encounter with God and the role that he played throughout your life. And what Sarah's going to share, she's going to share some of the heartache and the struggle to overcome in times of crisis and difficulty. And so I think that's going to bear some weight and be of value to us as we hear her story. And uh, really, let me just say this, to be able to talk about a painful past from a place of victory is significant. It, it shows that God's brought us to a healthy place. God's brought Sarah to a healthy place. Now, she's one of the people that when you meet her, you will remember her. I, th I think when I first met her, I didn't forget her name. That's, that's really a rare thing with me. <laughs> uh, but she's intentional about building uh, meaningful relationships with others, uh, 
and being herself uh, and being real with the people that are in her life. Uh, and this is one of the many things that Pastor Dem and I really love about you, Sarah. Uh, she's a mother of two beautiful daughters, Leah and Lindsay. She's a chiropractor who owns and operates a successful business in our community. Uh, so again, thanks for joining us today. And uh, Pastor Deb gave me a helpful hint. I said, okay, Deb, help me. She said, well, you can start out with something that would be in the lighter end of things. So uh, I didn't warn her about this, so this is all kind of off the cuff. Um, but we're going to do something and just lighten it up with some really uh, fast lightning round questions. I'm ready. Okay. What is your favorite place for quiet time? My hammock in my backyard. Mm, great. What is your favorite cheese? Because we live in Wisconsin. I went through a period in my life where I didn't like cheese. I know, I know. <laughs> but I would have to say on the regular it would be Gouda. Because mm, it's so oh, yeah. Gouda. Right? Yeah. Kind of soft and gushy. And, uh, yeah. yeah, good. All right. <laughs> uh, place to vacation or you want to vacation? Vacation for me is never really about a place, right? It's about the people that you're with. It could be anywhere. It could be my backyard. It could be camping. It's where I'm with my kids, and they're having fun, and we're not fighting, and we're just being oh. us. Because my kids are a hoot. They're really, really entertaining. Um, and <laughs> I, I love them, and I love all the time I get with them. Even yeah. when they are fighting, actually. They're more obnoxious when they're getting along than when they're fighting. <laughs> hey, well, I didn't expect that for an answer, but that's wonderful. Um, Disneyland, actually, is the answer. <laughs> with, with my children. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I, didn't ask, I didn't come up with this question. This is Pastor Deb. Uh, the car, uh, the favorite car you've ever driven? The favorite car I've ever driven? I love the car I have now. Um, so it's a Toyota Highlander. It's super comfy, and I oh, love yeah. it. I don't know. I've always, I've been in a Tesla, and it's fun, but it does scare me. Um, and I've always wanted to own a Lexus, and I, I don't. So, <laughs> it's not in the chiropractic budget. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, one final uh, fast round question, lightning round question, is the chapter in the Bible, your favorite chapter in the Bible, or your Bible story? Honestly, it's the, I don't even know what chapter it is. I don't know where it is. I'm not a Bible quoter. I know like two verses in the whole Bible that I can quote. Um, but it's, you know, Jesus going to the temple and being upset and flipping over tables. And I tell myself, it's totally okay to be upset sometimes. Wow. And he probably was saying a few words that weren't pleasant, but he had a purpose behind them. And so it's a reminder that sometimes we do get angry, but it's okay. It doesn't mean that we're a bad person. We just have some emotions to get out. That's good. Wow. Great. I think she did. Give her a hand on those uh, lightning round questions, okay? Now we're going to transition to a little more serious note. Um, uh, the first question, it's got actually a number of questions and twists. So, um, and actually, uh, let's just get started with that. Uh, can you tell us about your life before your walk with God? your upbringing, uh, your adolescent years, and, and now as an adult, you can just share some things regarding that. And then what were some of the longings and desires that shaped your journey to Jesus? 
uh, were there key people or groups that influenced you? So that's kind of a, a loaded question, okay? But yeah, So I was born and raised in Stevens Point. My maiden name is Szymkowiak, so I'm a Polish Catholic from home. And my parents took me through the Catholic process. You know, I was baptized, I went to, I had my first communion, I went to catechism, I had my confirmation, and I, it's not the Catholic Church that left me wanting more or didn't give me enough. It was that my parents didn't carry faith through to our house. So I realized, looking back, that I was always longing for something more. I, when we had a youth program, I went to the youth program, I did the missions trip, I always wanted there to be a God, but I never got to the point where I was certain there was a God. And part of that is, too, it's, it wasn't in our home. Faith ended, or our, our talk of, of Jesus and God, and what we, that ended when we left church, or the moment I walked out of my catechism classes, and I realized that I, I missed out on something. And when I was in my 30s, my, my mid-30s, I was living in Carson, California with my husband and my two daughters, and they were pretty little then, and I um, had a neighbor who shared with me. We, our kids were little, we'd play at the pool, and one day she needed my professional help as a chiropractor, and I, she was sharing some stories with me, and she invited me to her church where her brother-in-law was the pastor, and I didn't go right away, but she didn't give up on me, and she had a, a pivotal role, and then I had some um, really good mentors in faith as I got older. Okay, uh, that's great. I, I think as we walk through this journey, I believe there's significant points where people we meet and where God is there, even though sometimes you might think he's not, but yeah. God's guiding us and directing us along the way. And so, um, how did you meet Jesus? Tell us a little bit about your personal testimony, and what was the pivotal moment for you when you made that personal commitment to Jesus? Yeah, it goes back to when I was living in California with that same neighbor. So the year was 2014. My husband and I were struggling. We lived in a tiny little mobile home that had termites and bugs, and it was all we could afford, and I, I was trying to work, but I didn't get to work to my potential, and I was a little frustrated and expected my husband to provide for us to make our life easier so I could grow my practice, but I was always running the kids around and taking care of my family because I was being a wife, and although I liked taking care of my children and I liked being a wife, I wanted more, and I was getting frustrated because I felt like my husband wasn't providing enough so we could have more. And over the times at the pool and the times I you know, talked to Christina, I remember her telling me one time, like, um, it's, she doesn't worry about her husband providing because God provides for them. And I happened to remember her saying that, and I had this moment of breakdown where I marched over to Christina's house and I said, I just wanna know more. Like, I need something. I'm struggling and I'm, I'm, I feel it because I deserve better than what I have right now. Why, why don't I have better? And she again invited me you know, to go to her church, but more importantly, she invited me to a small group. And the small group was called Solid Lives. It was an eight-week introduction to Christ. And I just needed, I was just reaching out for anything. So I was like, yep, I'll do it. It met at her house, which was convenient because she lived next door to me. And so the eight-week session ended 
on my 35th birthday, like my actual 35th birthday. So I know the moment that I was saved. I know the moment that I realized it was real. And in this series, um, it was part on book, part on video, and it was done by um, Jerry Dearman, who is the lead pastor at the Rock Church in Anaheim, California. And he gave this presentation in the last week on this video when it was what happened to Jesus during the crucifixion. Not the story of, you know, he was walking and he needed help and he was struggling and he didn't want to be crucified because that's really important to remember. Like, Jesus did not want to be crucified, but he did it because he knew he was obligated to and he was listening to his father. So hearing this story of what physically happened to Jesus, what his body was going through, what his mind must have been going through, what his joints went through, it's, it changed the way I saw everything and I realized, oh, he was real. And that was the moment where everything started to click, but I was also able to reflect on what made my life better and when my life wasn't better. But that was the moment. Like, for me, it was thinking about what Jesus went through so we could all live on. Yeah, the realization of that is, I believe, so significant. People don't know the detail and the, the pain and the agony Jesus went through, but when you look into it at that level, then it, it really makes it different. And I think the significance, even the small group, that's why we value small groups here at Refuge, because it's a great place you can bring somebody that maybe wouldn't come into the doors of the church initially, but that's a place where they can be, you can really find connection. Yeah, that was the time too. It was, you know, I just turned 35. We were still struggling. We had to figure out what we were going to do, if we were going to stay in LA, if we were going to leave, and everything just started to fall into place. My husband was going to church with me. My kids were going to church. They were involved in things. We were, we were praying. I got okay with the idea that I would raise my hand when I sang in church. Like, that was weird to me. But I got over it, and I realized that there was more for me and how things really fell into place when we had a stronger faith. So we were able to move back to Wisconsin, and that was the goal. We wanted to be back by my family. And, um, you know, from that moment in... Christina's living room when I found Jesus, there'd been a lot of you know, ups and downs. Um, so moving back wasn't super easy. Um, it, it worked out in the end, but the process was, there was some challenges. So we moved back and my husband was you know, working from home, but he was offered a better job in, in Chicago and was told, hey, you can, we want you to come work for us in Chicago. It's a good stepping stone, it's a good, a good move in your career, but you have to live in Chicago. And so, temporarily, my husband went to live in Chicago for two years. Um, so I'll try to get through this. Um, so that happened in January of 2017. We made the decision for him to live in Chicago temporarily, found an apartment, everything was good, we're gonna meet, see each other on the weekends, and it was gonna be okay, we were gonna make it. However, he grew more and more distant, and it was tough because by the end of that year, even though I, I, saw, I saw things happening, but I didn't want to believe it. I, he was my husband. You know, why would we ever be, you know, he would never leave me. We, it must be his job that's keeping him, like it must be. I was falling for all those excuses. So when I tell the story, it's not because I wasn't smart enough to see what was going on. I didn't want to believe that it was happening. And so... He came home for Christmas, and then it was December 21st, and 
we had this weird argument the night before and December 21st rolls and he meets me for lunch. I was working for another chiropractor at the time and meets me for lunch and I walk outside and I looked at him and I said, is our marriage okay? His response was, do you really want to talk about this? Yes, I do. He looked straight in my face and said, I don't want to be married to you anymore. I don't want to be married. Like, totally out of the blue. And it was so, so hard. Like, you know, we were supposed to be getting our life together, and now it just changed in an instant. And I was devastated because I never, ever expected that. Yeah, it was, it was really hard. And my first thought was, like, why would God let my marriage fail? I'm doing all the right things. I'm going to church. I'm praying. I'm doing these things. Why would he let my marriage fail? And so I reached out to Pastor Deb, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. You know, my, my friends, my, most of my like, non-believer friends were like, you just need, you need counseling, you need counseling, you need counseling. And in my head, I'm like, I just need to talk to my pastor. I knew it. I knew that I needed that direction. So that talk with Pastor Deb was, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't one talk. It was multiple talks and multiple, like, how do I get through this? How do I find the words? What do I say? What do I do? Why would my husband actually cheat? He can't be cheating. You know, there's no way. And he's not cheating. He just, some, he just doesn't, we'll get through this. He's just, have, it's a phase. I mean, there were so many thoughts in my head. And when, you know, through the process of this, Pastor Deb had encouraged me to go to a small group. And it was a women's small group when we were talking about the armor of God. And that was my first inter- introduction to the power of the church through a small group. But the other parts of that is, um, I'll try to stay on track here. Yeah. So I, I needed a place where I could find my faith and sort through things without judgments, um, you know, without lectures on what I needed to do, without, you know, shaming for my choices. And I, I really needed that connection in that moment. But the other thing that happened is um, I have a, my best friend is also a Christian. She doesn't, you know, she's not a member of this church and she doesn't live close. But between her and amazing pastors, I realized that God wasn't letting my marriage fail. He was protecting me from a poor relationship. And I didn't, you know, in the the time when it first happened, it first hit, it was so hard to see that I thought I was failing, that I was doing something wrong, but I wasn't. And so one day after service, Pastor Matt came up to me and he's like, he hands me this book. He goes, I haven't read this, but I think you need to read it. I think it'll be helpful. And it was a book about knowing when to let go, essentially, when, you know, when your marriage is over, when your not marriage is over, and what, what to use to, dis- to make those decisions. And I knew after reading that book that it was time to let go. And so that doesn't mean that God didn't love me or God wasn't serving me or I wasn't serving him. It was just time to let go. And I know that that was the book. That was God telling Pastor Matt she needs to read this book because it's time to go. It's time to move on. And so I was able in that moment then to let, you know, to let go and to heal or to start healing. It's a long, long process. Yeah, I think that's a difficult thing is knowing when to let go when somebody has moved on and has somebody else in their life and where does that leave you? You know, I think nearly every family in America has been touched in some way by, the, by divorce. And with this sensitive subject, 
I believe that God wants to minister in the midst of that. And, and divorce and remarriage is really a, 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 a difficult issue in the church. And, and yet Jesus addresses it in the Bible. In Matthew 19, we see where Jesus addressed the Pharisees when they questioned him specifically on divorce. You know, how do you handle that? And in verse um, 8, Jesus said to them in, in regarding divorce, he said, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And so the real root cause of divorce is somebody's heart gets hardened to the point where they can't forgive, they can't believe, they can't trust again. And what happened in regards to your husband, he basically had such a hard heart, he didn't want to go forward in this relationship anymore. And where did that leave her? And so that's uh, sometimes, in fact, we don't condone divorce, but neither do we condemn the one who is divorced because God has a plan and it, to bring restoration to lives. And, and so uh, because of the nature of marriage, I believe that God's designed it to be a one flesh relationship. And so divorce can also be something that's very devastating to a uh, a person's life. Almost some people say it's worse than death because it's the separating of two that God had made one through that covenant relationship. Yeah. So yeah, this uh, can be a sensitive issue for a lot of people even here, but, but we always will direct people to the word of God, uh, to the presence of God, where you can find the help and strength that you need to, to get through. And, and we always believe that God can restore, but it takes people willing to walk through that restoration process. And, and we believe that uh, prayer, we always pray, we always believe, but God will never violate a person's will if they just are walking out of a marriage with the case that, that happened in your life. So... so Moving to the next question, unless you have any more to speak yeah. into that. I would say the thing that's on my mind right now is that the hardest thing to recover from in going through a divorce is, what did I do wrong? Uh, what is wrong with me that I couldn't keep a marriage going? Right? And that, like, sorry, it's hard. Even now, I still think, what did I do? Like, how did I fail? I thought I was a good wife. Why would he not want to be married to me? I'm successful. I'm smart. I'm decent looking, why, why couldn't I keep my marriage going? And it wasn't me, and it took me several years to realize that it wasn't me. Yes, everybody, you know, there's two parties to a divorce, and I had my faults, but I wasn't solely responsible for my marriage not being, you know, not lasting. Yeah. Well, we have another question, we're right. gonna move on here. Um, how do you see yourself now as opposed to then? And what difference has following Jesus made in your life? I still make mistakes. I still say things I regret. I still, you know, struggle. But I'm much quicker to give you an apology. I take longer to think before I speak because I, I know that I have to really process things sometimes. And I really want to be the same person all the time. When you see me at church, when you see me at home, when you see me you know, in, in Refuge Kids, or when you see me in my office, I am me. I don't have to put on a show. And sometimes that me isn't great. It's, it's not. Like, 
I can still have ugly moments, but I recognize them. And I recognize that there's always that room for improvement. And I do, if I, you know, kind of go back and go, okay, God, help me through this. Where before I'd be like holding grudges and being angry and like, you must have done something wrong. There's no way that I did something wrong. And so I've learned, I've learned a lot. Um, but going through the divorce, in the middle of that process, I also realized that I needed to leave my job and start again. Like, and that's, when you've worked in, in, in a relationship like, like that in, an, in, you know, with, um, in an associate position, it's like, it was like going through another divorce. And it was really, really challenging, but I knew through lots and lots of prayer that I needed to do it. So it wasn't like I heard this big God voice going, you need to start your own practice. I had the right people put in my life at the right times. And that's sometimes how God speaks to you, not in these big solid words, but because somebody else or some action came into your life. That's God speaking. And I'm much more you know, quick to see that now than I ever could before. I recognize God's works, even when they're little. But the, the plan that happened, it wasn't easy. Like, I knew I had to start this practice. And I started a practice in the middle of COVID. In, in April of 2020, I realized that I needed to start a practice. And I also knew that I couldn't up and leave. It didn't feel good to just leave the situation I was in without giving any awareness or heads up. So it may have been easier in some people's mind for me just to pack up and leave, but I wouldn't have felt good about that. And so sometimes we know doing the right thing may make it harder, but when you feel better about your actions, even if they were tougher, it's a lot easier to go on with your life when you know you did the right thing, even though it seemed like it, it put you, you know, in a less comfortable or less easy situation. So I opened this practice. I didn't have any money. I had no savings. I was barely surviving, which is one of the reasons I knew I needed to leave. Is I wasn't, um, I didn't have as much income as I, I felt I should have for all the work that I was doing. And so I looked at my bank account and remembered like things happen, tax returns, COVID boosts, like, and so, I had no money, but I also knew that I could not. I had terrible credit, and I have a giant student loan. So there's no way I'm going to go into a bank and get a loan. But I had days, like, maybe, like two months maybe, from when I decided to go and to when I had to be open seeing patients in order to survive. So it was prayer. It was constant prayer of, okay, where's this money going to come from? How am I going to have this money? I have to do it. What's my budget? And it was friends who helped me, friends that came together, the support of my parents. I knew that I could, I could make this happen. And I did it without fear. I opened a practice on faith alone. There was no backup income. I wasn't married. There was nothing else coming in. It was complete trust in God that I was going to open a practice and be successful. And it's not like I got to take my practice with me. I had to start over. And so, you know, just the way that it happened, and we don't have time for me to discuss all the crazy details of how my practice came together, but I started, and I started it on my own, but with the support of God and my friends. And it was a meeting with Pastor Matt where he reminded me, he was sitting in my office in the early stages, and he looked at me and he said, okay, this is not your practice. This is God's practice. 
paid. I've known my entire career from the moment I started chiropractic school that I was supposed to be a chiropractor. My God-chosen profession is to be a chiropractor. I know that without a doubt. But I always lacked my certainty in serving. And so as that certainty in serving and serving for God got better, like my practice grew and grew and grew. And there's days when I literally wake up and go, how did this happen? And I think it's a miracle because she started in, in April of 2020 when COVID hit. Same time. I mean, and her, I mean, that's a testimony in and of itself. Yeah. So the one, the hard part is it wasn't all, you know, sunshine and roses. The opening my practice and leaving a job left a bit of a rift in my family. And I, I couldn't figure it out, and I have tried to analyze it a few times, but I had a very close family. I have three older sisters. We have lots of kids, so the cousins, there's lots of cousins. And I could tell that my sisters, my older sisters were, like, didn't seem very supportive. They kind of stopped talking to me, and it just, it felt weird. And it was COVID, so we were already kind of distancing, so it was part of that. But in October of that year, my sister confronted me and had this rant about how, essentially she straight out told me that she resented me because my life was easy and I had all these things handed to me and everything, you know, I didn't have to work so hard and I, I never had to go to work and I, worked, I work hard, I work hard. Um, just because I'm not like physically in my office or physically seeing a patient, I'm working. And I'm sure my children will tell you that I work a lot. Um, and, but to have my older sister who, whose life is really well put together, like she's successful, she's great, like I admire her for the things that she does, but for some reason she told me that she resented me. That hurts. This is my big sister. She was supposed to support me and care, but she, she made me feel just the opposite. She made me feel I was, you know, she felt I was making a mistake and it was, you know, on her and her husband and I love them dearly, dearly. And so it really hurts when somebody that you care about and you want to care about you and be supportive isn't showing support. But I knew the change, and I tell this story because this is the change of Jesus in my life. As my sister was yelling at me, I didn't yell back at her. I knew that my sister's feelings towards me in that moment were really a reflection of the stress that she was going through. It wasn't because I did anything wrong. My sister was struggling in her own life. And me yelling back at her would not make that better. It would make it worse. And so I let her yell, and I let her go on. And it was interesting because it happened in front of my parents. They got to see how my sister had treated me on and off over the years. I'm her little baby sister. And when you were the youngest child, it doesn't matter how successful you are, how grown up you become, how your children get older, you are always the little sister, right? If you're the youngest, you know, you're always the little sister. And so, it, you know, I'm successful, but they don't quite see me that way. They just still see me as the little sister. And I, I knew, though, in that moment that even though she hurt me, I wasn't going to let that stop me from loving her. So... I thought my marriage was going to make me cry more than my relationship with my sister. 
So, um, you know, having this, you know, getting over that, I wasn't, I was like, how could she feel this way? But I wasn't angry. It made me, I knew I had to love her. I knew that I had to continue to show love and support even when she didn't show that towards me. And it feels a whole lot better than resentment, than holding on to a grudge, than being angry. It's a lot easier. And the lesson I've learned from following Jesus is that we don't forgive to make others feel better. Like, forgiveness is solely yeah, for us. So we can move on and get through it. Yeah, that's good. Because we never, like, it doesn't make a difference in my sister's life if I forgave her. But it sure as heck makes my life a lot better. That's very good. And I think that betrayal can be so devastating, but forgiveness releases that offense from having and bearing hurt and pain in your life. Very powerful. Yeah. Wow. Uh, another question? Sure. Uh, yeah. How you, how's everybody doing? That's good? Okay, that's going good. Yeah. So what does waiting on the promise mean to you? Um, and what are some promises that God's fulfilled in your life? Uh, and what did you learn in the waiting? Yeah, so remember I was raised Catholic, and, I, and, and for so much of my um, younger years, I just thought being a good person was enough, like, if you treat your other, treat your neighbors like you want to be treated, be a good person, be a good person. And so my mom would always say, God will reward you. This is, this is the little bit of faith we got in the house. God will reward you. You don't know when it's going to happen, and you don't know how it's going to happen. It's probably not going to be money, but God will reward you for your good things. So if I did something nice to my sister, I, God will reward you. If I clean my room, God will reward you. But, you know, as I look, I'm like, I've probably been waiting on a promise since I was five years old. And so, and I know there's still more. I'm still waiting. I know there's more for my life than where I'm at now. I don't know what it is, but I know there's more. And I know that, you know, that God's going to, to provide that. And so I, you know, one of the, sorry, I'm going to look at my notes here quick. Um, I didn't ever like set out and go, and I wasn't younger going, I want to be a mom, but I have the most perfect children for me. They are not perfect, but they are the perfect children for me. And, you know, I have this amazing chiropractic practice. It didn't just fall into my lap. I had to work for it, but it's there, and it's my practice. And, I mean, I've been a chiropractor for 15 years, and for most of that, I've, I thought, oh, okay, there's more. I, there's more for me in this profession. I'm, what am I missing? But it was all of a sudden this, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And that's, that's when things started to move forward for me is when I just was like, okay, God, you're right. I know that when I have more faith in you, my life is better. So let's, let's see what's going to happen. And you have to have faith even when things are hard because that's really when you need it the most, not just when, not just when things are all happy and, and sunshiny. So, so yeah. we'll wrap it up with one more question. And something you said to me when we met to talk about uh, the service today is, is how in the service I'll say, make my life what you want it to be. <laughs> it's part of the prayer. So how has your life changed since you decided to follow Jesus? You know, I touched on that a little bit. Like, you know, I'm much more quicker to forgive, and I, I think more about my answers. But there was, there was a moment... Um, 
about three years ago, we were driving in Green Bay together. And it was myself and my daughters, and my oldest daughter was sitting next to me in the passenger seat, and I was driving along, and there was this billboard. And the billboard says, the family that prays together stays together. My daughter was quiet, and she looked at me, and she said, that billboard is such a lie. And I knew I had to answer her. I knew I didn't, like, I knew I had to quickly come up with a response because this was my moment to either tear down her faith or to build it up. And the only thing I could think of is, it's not a lie, but the whole family has to pray. And your dad stopped praying. Because it is, like, prayer is so important. And the most important part of prayer to me is to be thankful. You know, when you don't know what to pray for, just be thankful for all of the things that you do have in your life. And sometimes that's as simple as, I got to work without spilling my coffee, or I have money for lunch today. But we need to be thankful and remember that when you start to see all the little blessings in, our, in your life, more and more blessings will come. Yes, that's so profound. And uh, the family that prays together stays together. But for God to give you that answer to minister to daughter in that questioning moment is so significant. Um, really, you know, there's so much more that the story could be told. And um, we're kind of running out of time, but we want to uh, thank Sarah for coming. And I just want you to stretch your hand towards Sarah. We're just going to pray for her during this time because uh, one of her favorite scriptures is um, Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans that I have for you declares the Lord, plans for the future and a hope. So, Father, we just thank you for Sarah today. And, and Father, thank you for what she shared with us. There's, there's so many things that I believe are meaningful that, that we can get a hold of, a powerful truths that, that she shared with us that can make a difference in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you continue to bless her in her journey with you, Father. And we do declare the best is yet to come. We thank you for your incredible faithfulness that you've demonstrated and shown her in her life because she's turned her heart and life to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we appreciate you and love you. Let's, let's give Sarah a hand. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As we bring the service to a conclusion here, we want to extend an invitation, which I believe is, is important uh, to extend to you, and that is um, for you to encounter Jesus. Um, maybe you've gone to church, maybe you're a halfway decent person, um, maybe you think you have a belief and a faith in God, but you, have you ever made a personal, meaningful commitment to surrender yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I think that decision is uniquely different than just uh, calling yourself a Christian, but it's really allowing uh, Jesus to come into your life and to begin to call the shots. It's making him Lord, allowing his Lordship to prevail where your life is concerned. It's, it's a place of surrender. It's a place of decision where you commit your life to him, acknowledging that you're a sinner, and you need a savior. What you need is forgiveness. Because God's plan for you is much better than what you can create or design or plan for yourself. But surrendering to his will, I believe, is 
the most important thing that needs to be decided in your life. And so we're going to just take a moment. I'm just, just going to um, invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes in this moment. Uh, Sarah shared her story about her struggle. But the story has a good ending, and it's because of a decision she made on her journey. And that was to place her trust and her faith in Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know that I've really placed my trust fully in Jesus. Maybe you really haven't totally surrendered to him or opened your heart to him. If you're here today, I'm going to ask with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody really looking around right now, to slip up your hand because we're going to pray for you and with you. Lift your hand if you say, Pastor, I know my life is not right with God. And I know I need him. And today I'm willing to surrender myself to him and to give my life to him. That's you. Just lift up your hand so I can see it. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Several hands going up. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we stand together? And I appreciate you being honest and, and lifting your hand because that's a, that's a beginning for you to acknowledge your need for Christ and for you to make a decision for him. I made that decision when I was 17 years old as a young man and I've never regretted that decision. I've had challenges and struggles in my life but Jesus has been my best friend. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's real. He's personal. And he's impactful in our lives and he wants to reveal himself to each and every one of you. As we pray, I'm going to lead everyone in a prayer. We call this the Believer's Prayer. It's simply to pray this prayer. Embrace the words. Make them your words from your heart as we declare the Lordship of Jesus. Let's pray. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I open up my heart and life to you. And today I surrender to you, Jesus. I receive you now and acknowledge you as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life and make my life what you want it to be. Forgive me of my sins. I repent. Help me, God, to know you and to know the Father. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for everyone here today and those that are tuned in online that by your spirit you'd minister to them at their point of need. Father, those that are going through struggles, those that are going through hardships, those that have relational conflict, God, that you would intervene in their lives, that you would allow them to know your strength, your provision, and Father, the love that you give to help them on their journey. In Jesus' name, Father, we declare freedom. We come against the power of darkness, and Satan's assignment against every life, every individual here, every marriage here. Father, we speak healing and restoration. You are the restorer of a broken heart. You're the healer of a broken heart. Father, heal us and deliver us and make us whole, make us healthy, make us well. In Jesus' name, we give you praise, glory, and honor. Amen. Well, we're going to worship God as we conclude the service. We're going to have a prayer team up here after this song. 
And as we conclude the service, and we invite you to come for prayer. If you need prayer, if you lifted your hand especially, we invite you to come and receive prayer this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Refuge Official Podcast today. We hope that this message spoke to you in a very meaningful way and that you were able to connect with the Lord. And hey, if you made a decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today, we are first and foremost just so happy for you and we would love to get connected with you. So if you want to find some more of our content and find out how to get connected with us, feel free to check out our website at wearerefuge.net. Be blessed and have an amazing rest of your day.